welcome to this episode of Nucleus Wealth and Power, where I go looking for what the good life is and how finance can support and empower us in achieving that. So after a brief detour back into property last episode, we're going to continue with shares this week, and in particular, how to get started in share investing. And to do that, I have the great pleasure of sharing tea with the founder of, and CEO of Herconomics, Wadzanai Nenzo, aka Wadzi. Uh, so Herconomics is an education company focused on uh, empowering Australian women who want to invest in the share market but feel intimidated to buy their first shares. Herconomics wants to empower women so they can build long-term wealth and live life their way. Wadzi has worked as a financial services professional for over 15 years in the areas of financial planning, superannuation, investments, banking and compliance. She's currently working in the Wealth Concierge team for Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, where she's responsible for helping customers grow, manage and protect their wealth. Wesley, welcome to the show. I'm excited. So excited. We've waited so long. <laughs> oh, we? my God. We waited so long. I was dying for this tea. <laughs> Turns out I haven't done such a great job of it, but um, I'm, I'm confident the conversation is going to be better than the tea, and I'll make that up to well, you. Well, cheers to Cheers, <laughs> Uh, okay, so before we get into the show, I'd like to start um, by acknowledging um, traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to the land, sea and community. I pay my respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. And a bit of admin before I forget that as well. So I'd like to remind everyone who's listening and viewing the show that anything we discuss today uh, is general in nature and not personal advice um, pertaining to your personal circumstances. So if you have anything, questions or anything like that you'd like to discuss, you can always call uh, myself and the team at Nucleus Wealth on 1300-623-863 or email contact at nucleuswealth.com. Uh, and we do love that if you're enjoying the show, uh, if you want to give us a subscription, a like or a follow or that sort of thing and help the show grow, we'd certainly be really appreciative of that. So thank you. Okay, so we're going to start this conversation. We have been waiting months to do. I know. We have. I actually want to start, and it's the first time um, I'm going to ask this question on the show, but I've been wanting to for so long, and ask you, what to you is a good is the good life and living the good life? Because I feel like, in today's society, we're all so busy and, um, you know, capitalism is sort of this uh, subliminal message to be buying and spending and that's what's going to make you happy. So um, when I was reading through, uh, you know, her economics and, and its, um, its goals, I really felt like this is a question I'd love to explore you. Perfect. I love this question. I actually listened to a podcast which is called, which is called The Good Life and they <laughs> asked that question at the beginning of it. So that's really good. Ah, oh, the good life. That's such a good question. I would say personally, I would see the good life as living as aligned to your values or things that you value as much as possible. So, you know, whether you're somebody who's like, I value family and relationships or I value experiences or I value nature, you know, contribution, impact, whatever it is. I feel like the good life for that specific person or for each individual is you living as closely to those top and core values as you can. Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like, and this is for me personally, when you're not living according to your values, you feel it. Definitely. I mean, you might, it might not be very clear. You just know something is off. You feel like heavy. Almost. Yeah. I mean, it's probably not the same for everyone, but yeah. I know when I stray from the path, I'm yeah. not sure what it is. Yeah, exactly. So, Honestly, whatever your core values are, I feel that you'll have a really good life if you live as closely aligned to those values as possible. So that's that's kind of my definition of living. This I feel like we're so aligned. <laughs> it's beautiful to meet someone who shares that. Yes. Um, and so uh, I guess when I think about that, I think about finances being about creating space so you can live those values. Perfect. It's a tool, right? So a lot of people, you know, that saying money doesn't buy you happiness. I always counteract and say, yeah, money might not buy you happiness, but it's part of the equation. Mm. It's a tool around 
building a value-based life, right? Yep. A life that aligns. And the freedom to live that life. Exactly, exactly. It gives you choices. It gives you freedom. Um, and it, it's it's the tool. That's all it is. It's not evil. It's not out there trying to do anything. It's about how you use that tool for your benefit, for your loved ones, for your community, for the world as a whole. I love that. It's not evil. It's no, it's tool. not. So it's how it's, it's used. Yeah. It's how it's used. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I was reading about Herconomics, I felt like that is a, a really important part of what you're trying to empower people to do. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Or? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I think for me, it's very much about people empowering themselves and, you know, building a comfort level for themselves financially. And, you know, in terms of comfort level, everyone has got different, you know, goals, right, and different levels of what is comfortable for them. But there has to be basic financial security, right, for, for people. You know, even the people who say money doesn't buy you happiness, deep down they know. Mm -hmm. There's a level that you, everyone has to have where you're like, okay, I've got enough to take care of my basic needs. I've got enough to, you know, have some luxuries here and there. But apart from that as well, it, it's about empowering women to know that they actually can build the type of life that they want to live. Mm -hmm. They can have freedom and choice to live life their way. Yeah. Um, it, there's one of my, so this is, this is going to be a bit of a tangent, but uh, one of my favorite songs is My Way by uh, Frank Sinatra. Do you know that song? I do know it. I love it. It's actually my, I call my funeral song. <laughs> Literally, my funeral song. I told my sister this just in case she are surviving. That is, I like literally the lyrics of that song is like how I want. I want people to say, "Was they lived life her way?" You know, mm -hmm. she, you know, she might have made mistakes. She stumbled. She did this, but she lived life as you know to the beat of her own drum, but also according to what her values were. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's pretty much what economics is about is to empower women to yeah to build the types of life that makes sense for them and to showcase that they can do it mm -hmm. uh, and that it's not you know for somebody else it's for them it's for anybody that's so strong I think this um statement about encouraging people to live their way all right so uh when I was thinking where do we start this discussion um I definitely thought about myself because I have uh we have such a similar background in finances uh you know superannuation investments compliance I don't have as much in financial planning but certainly that includes yeah. lots of getting some and um so I really resonated with that but even though I have all that experience even now, it's still daunting to me the idea of choosing a share or choosing yeah. an investment. Yeah. And I know, you know, coming through like investment teams, if they have a very strong fundamental process and they're building models, a lot of work that goes into it. I don't know if I've got this concept from them of I have to do all the work before I invest in anything. It's <laughs> just ridiculous. But I'm saying I can really appreciate when you feel intimidated or too daunted to buy first share. Yes. So let's start at that point. Yes. What, what's the first step when that's where you are? Yes, so that is so common for so many people, men, women, young, old, I don't care who it is. There's so much intimidation. When people think of the share market, like I think for you it's even worse because you've seen <laughs> such hard work, like, you know, in the background, you're like, I can't do that. That's a lot of work. And that's a, another myth as well, which we'll talk about later. But um regarding or having to do all this work like the invest in the share market but i think as a start i always think that it's important to i always okay i i do something funny i do a funny um, exercise with my ladies when i do the course and i say to them okay i want you to go and look at the asx website the front the first page and just look at it like for like a number of days, because first of all, a lot of people don't even want to go onto that page. I can appreciate it. It overwhelms them so much, right? It just overwhelms them. So I just want them to go and look at it so that it's not this big monster. There's so many questions there, right? I know. Like what's in it? Exactly. So before we even get them, like right, no, let's no. not even go there. I just want you to see that this is not some big monster. I want you to just go and don't even click on any other page. It's just the front page 
of the ASX. And yeah, there'll be a lot of things that won't necessarily make sense to you because you, you don't know what the share market is. But first of all, I just want you to actually do that step of just going on there. But after you've, you know, you've slayed uh, that dragon, which is pretty basic, I always say, okay, so this is the thing, right? A lot of people always think of shares, they, they think of Wolf of Wall Street. They've seen, they've seen all these movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. They've seen this, uh, so you know, oh my God, you need to be like, you know, in it, you're like going crazy, trying to pick the stock, trying to do this. And it's like, calm down. Most of um, how people invest is literally the opposite of that. But when you start out, the first thing is to just learn the basics, right? Like don't try to know everything. So I think I find a lot of people intimidated because they think of the whole journey mm -hmm. before they even take the first step. So the first step is to learn the basic, the main basic. And by that, I mean like a very basic course you can do. So for instance, the ASX have got a shares course that they have mm -hmm. so there's actually an education center where you know you can just learn the basics of shares or exchange traded funds or bonds or any of that stuff so i always say to people as a basic before you start worrying about which year am i gonna buy what am i gonna do just go through that self-paced course it's, it's a free one on the asx website just try to go through it you want to understand everything but just start with that yeah. right just that um, and before you even start thinking, oh my God, which share am I going to buy? You could also take advantage of things like micro investing apps. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Raise. Yes. Yeah. So We're very like similar Raise. value. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So R-A-I-Z, it used to be called Acons a while back, but it's, I think it's a gentle way for mm -hmm. people to kind of get into investing without using too much of their funds so okay. because they're like little amounts okay so what is the what is the minimum amount you can invest in raise so in raise um what they do is you can do a number of things so they have what they call the roundup so you can purchase let's say you buy coffee right yeah. and you buy like for four dollars sixty let's say i'm just putting the number <laughs> yeah. out there i don't actually don't, right don't funny enough i actually don't drink coffee but how did i know that <laughs> anyway so um so about four dollars sixty and then it will round up to, they'll say it's been $5. So they'll take the 40 cents mm -hmm. and then they'll send it to your, um, to your raise account. And I think, I believe um, they wait until it gets to at least $5. Okay. And then they will put it into uh, a portfolio of exchange traded funds, which okay. is like managed funds. And that's a way of actually, you know, indirectly investing on the share yeah. market. Um, and I like that as a beginning. Um, I mean, a lot of people, when they've become more advanced, move away from that but i think at the beginning it's 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 a very non-intimidating yeah. thing you don't have to make any choices you're just learning a little bit about oh what is this that i'm investing in obviously whatever you invest in whether it's raise or anything else always make sure you read the product disclosure statement or any fact sheet to just make sure that it's the right thing for you and you actually understand what you're investing in so how do you approach a product disclosure statement because this is it's gonna be long right yeah I mean, they are very long, long. yeah and, and boring <laughs> and very very boring as well so this is the thing so for a lot of these things they also have kind of smaller versions of pdss okay so for a lot of people let's be honest we don't really have time to read every single uh you know thing about a pds especially if you compare product exactly product so product. If you're looking um, at PDSs, obviously you're trying, especially if it's an investment, you're trying to first of all understand, okay, how is this invested? Like you have to understand what they're actually investing yeah. in the first place. Yeah. So get clarity on that. Okay. Get clarity on the risk involved. Mm -hmm. Get clarity on the cost. Because um, all of this type of, whether it's exchange traded funds, which is an indirect way of, of um, investing in the share market, or managed funds or anything like that would have some sort of ongoing management costs. Yeah. Just you know, understand uh, if there's any hidden costs. Um, and the PS has to document all of the costs. Yeah, it does. It does. And then also the benefits. They also mentioned the potential benefits that you get from investing in this. So I think that's like kind of like a high level important thing is whether it's understanding what is the investment. Yep. What is the cost? What are the risks? What are the benefits? And who is the organization who's offering this? Are yeah. they a legitimate okay. 
authorized type of are they a scam you know there's a lot of scams yeah. out there so so okay we'll dive down into, into two things that you mentioned there let's start with this idea of legitimacy and how you verify it because you know um the internet has certainly made it easier for people to reach other people mm -hmm. um and so how, how do you get comfortable that the organizations are dealing with are legitimate yeah I think it, that can be really difficult, especially for people who are not in the financial world. I think for us, it, it can be a little bit easier because we understand authorized representative numbers, you know, things like that. Yeah. So it's like, wait, I'm not really sure what that is. So I think one thing that you should do or a good thing you should do is when you're looking at it, I can only talk about Australia because every country is different. In Australia, um, when it comes to financial products, um, they're all legislated, or financial services, mainly legislated by ASIC, um, the Australian Securities Investment Commission, and they always want their legitimate financial product providers to have to be uh, registered with them. So there's usually um, an authorized registration number of some sort. Okay. Yeah. And it will either be, it will be there, the PDS somewhere, but also even on the website. Usually, if you look at the bottom of the website, they'll have mm -hmm. like fine print where they'll say authorized representative, and then they'll mention the company. Okay, it might not be the name of the brand, but they'll yeah. have the company at the bottom. Of, okay, um, they're using the authorized representative number of this person. So that's like a baseline of okay, okay. this is actually a registered. So if you're seeing an authorized registration number, mm -hmm. and what about an AFSL? Yeah. Does that help too? If you know you want to look and see that whoever's issuing it has um his license. Exactly. So that is, yep. license. perfect. Yeah. So thank you for jumping there because I was gonna mention that. Oh, it was no, that's really good. Yeah. Um, yes, that is actually really helpful as well. Okay. Um and uh, you know, uh FSL is good. There's also a lot of these that are supposed to have uh FSGs, financial yes, service guys. You definitely want to so see one of those. You right? want to see that as well. So obviously PDS is good, but you also, especially with the financial product, you want to look at their financial services guide, first of all, to understand the type of, I guess, advice they can give you or the type of product they can provide, whatever it is that they are registered to do to understand what type of organization this mm -hmm. is. Um, I think that helps. If you can, if you don't see those things run away like <laughs> they need to, in australia if you're a legitimate financial service provider you, you've got to have those things okay so we'll put those in the show notes for anyone who's listening yeah. those documents because there's a lot of uh acronyms and letters yeah they put it in the, and it's as if the industry makes money out of confusing people but you don't <laughs> have to be and at least it, it shows and that's not to tell you that this is an amazing investment and you're going to make money it's just for the bare minimum. Actually, this is a uh, authorized rep representative who's allowed to tell you or to sell this to you or to advise you in this way. At the very least, at, at the, the very detail. Exactly. It doesn't mean that they are, you know, oh my God, that means that they are going to make me a lot of money and they know they're going to manage this profit. That's not it. You have to still do your own Such due diligence. Yeah. Uh, about the you know their performance yeah because as well another thing you can do obviously past performance doesn't mean future performance it's always something i always tell people mm -hmm. just because a product has done this in the yeah. past doesn't mean they're going to do that but at the same time it does show their how they performed yeah then you can see what they've, they've been able to do in the past and what they're actually capable of uh, and you can have a look to see if it's something that you're that you're comfortable with Performance to me is such a challenging and interesting conversation because, um, you know, obviously with our, our financial um, services background, it's it's intimately tied with risk. Yes. But everybody understands performance. But risk is such a more challenging yeah. idea. And um, you were talking about risk before and I was wondering, does the index talk about that in any of its basic courses? And how, how does it demonstrate risk as a concept? Uh, like yeah. How would you? I mean, yes. Yeah. So in terms of, I guess, with risk, right, it's, it's, I think the basic thing is something that is, I guess, the best way of putting it as simple as possible. The risk that something might happen. And in the case that of investments, there's a lot of different types of risk, by the way. There are, yeah. But I'm not going to go through all of them because that would just confuse people. There's a lot of different risks. 
maybe the easiest way of uh, saying it is, let's say you put your money in an investment. You want it to grow. Yeah. You want it, to, you know, you're putting that money for it to grow over time or to give you income, whatever it is. And when you think of risk, you're thinking of it not going according to that plan yeah, in okay. some way. So it's, it's, it's the risk that or the potential that it's going to deviate mm -hmm. from what you wanted to do, mm -hmm. whether you want it to grow over time, whether you want to get some income from it, there is that risk that that might not happen or it might not happen as much as you want it to. So for instance, let's say you put in money into a company, you buy shares, and obviously you're hoping that over time that's going to grow. But, you know, let's say, you know, whatever happens and then the company goes bankrupt, there is that, that's a risk that that could happen. Mm -hmm. And that risk is that you could lose as a shareholder, probably most of your money, yeah. uh, or mostly, most likely all of it. Yeah. Um, but also another risk that a lot of people don't really think about is volatility risk. So let's yeah. say, for instance, you put in your money today, you buy um, a share in, you know, Tesla or something else. And then, you know, today it's whatever amount it is per share. Let's say 5,000. I'm going to put some big amount there. 5,000 a share. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, all, and it goes up. Like it goes up up to 10,000 and you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is fantastic. And then next year, for some reason, it falls and it's now, you know, $500 a share. Yeah. It's really dramatically fallen for some reason, whether it's to do with the company or you know, the market or we're in a recession or something. I mean, happens. yeah, you know, we saw COVID affect a lot Exactly, COVID pandemic, anything, right? And then that's usually okay if you still have the timeline and you, you're happy to keep the money in there for mm -hmm. the long term. But sometimes you need money for whatever reason. Yeah. Sometimes you need to cash out yeah. your shares because life happens. Maybe, you know, there's an emergency. You can't cover it with your emergency fund and there's a family situation and you need money out. So the risk there is that then you might sell it at a lower amount than what you purchased it as and make that loss. Mm -hmm. So you're not necessarily losing all of your money, but you've got that potential of losing some of it when you actually cash out for whatever reason mm -hmm. you're cashing out as well. Um, so yeah, so there's, when it comes to risk, it's more a deviation from what whatever you, you want to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're trying to obviously minimize it as much as possible. So a lot of people, when they think of investing in shares, are only thinking of direct shares. Mm -hmm. Usually they're thinking, I'm going to put buy a thousand shares in Woolworths, but they actually don't realize there's indirect ways of investing mm -hmm. in um, the share market with managed funds, for instance, and exchange traded funds. Yeah. And this is actually a, a product which are very good at minimizing risk for you mm -hmm. because within one purchase, you you buy like a portfolio of a basket. a basket of shares or a basket of companies or even asset classes. So it's not just shares, there could be, you know, property in there, yeah. or there could be cash, there could be fixed interest. So there are ways that you can actually minimize that potential deviation that you're afraid of through different things, whether it's the type of product you're mm. putting the money in, which actually has diversification, yep. put it in, you know, in there. Um, or it's you making sure, even if you're buying direct shares, that you're not just putting all the money in one company, yeah. that you're, you're so investing in different companies and also in different maybe industries yeah. and asset classes as well. Yeah. So risk is always going to be there for any type mm -hmm. of investment. Obviously, there's some, when it comes to level of risk, there's some that are lower risk than others. There's some, let's say, for instance, a blue chip company like yep. CBA is a much lower risk than an emerging company in the developing world, yeah. for instance, in terms sure. of the potential for you to actually lose out mm -hmm. any money. So what's important about risk is you need to know yourself. Mm -hmm. So you need to know what level of risk you're comfortable with yeah. because you could be someone who's not comfortable with risk at all. You're very low risk averse or low conservative mm -hmm. investor. You could be a moderate or medium risk person. So you're, you know, comfortable with some risk, but you also want to balance it out with some low risk uh, things. And then you, oh, you could be someone who's very high risk because you're very much interested in getting as high growth as possible. Yeah. And you're comfortable with volatility and things like that. So it's important to know that because you see a lot of people investing 
in things that are the opposite of who they are. Yeah. And that gives you a lot of uh, lack of peace of mind. You've got blood pressure, you know, going through the roof. That's not worth it. You need to actually invest according to your risk. risk okay. Level. So how does the person determine their risk level? Yeah. That's a difficult one for a lot of people. Um, there are actually questionnaires online. Okay. But I'm going to give a, a word of caution. A lot of those questionnaires are from product providers of some mm -hmm. sort. Yeah. So what they will do, yes. So what you have to do is that, you know, take advantage of the questionnaire and get Absolutely. You don't have to be forced to buy the product of that yes. uh, questionnaire afterwards. Um, so you can try to get, because a lot of people don't know, okay, and, and you nailed it. Okay, yes, I don't like risk, but they don't really know how much they don't like yeah. risk in, in comparison to how the market views it. So they might think actually I'm moderate risk, but maybe they might be low risk, you know? Yeah. So I think those questionnaires help. I think the questionnaire is a good one. And we're going to jump in and prove us here in the, uh, a couple of reasons. Like when you do those questionnaires, uh, you get a sense of uh, how you're going to react to those situations. Exactly. That's what our does is ask you, what, what, how you react or we feel in this situation. And that's yep. how they, how we you get some more I love some. Thank you. Yep. Um, so, so there's that aspect of it. It's finished. Oh, we're out. I know. It's a small thing. Um, yeah. So how would you react in those situations? So that yeah. gives you an awareness of yourself. And then at the end, certainly not an hour on, we'll give you what your answers, um, what the recommendation in terms of, um, percentage allocation to yeah. different asset classes. Yeah. And that, that is, uh, a pseudo um, risk score in a sense because, yeah. you know, um, we think about equities as being the riskiest asset class, so you ha have more suggested allocation of that. You've got a, a riskier tendency and yeah. vice versa to bonds. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly right. So I think for a lot of people who are true beginners, those questionnaires are lifesavers because it's very difficult without those questionnaires for you to just know. Mm. Like, how do you know that? Absolutely. I think they're very, very good. Um, but it's interesting, you, I agree with you that obviously in terms of the four main asset classes, shares, you know, would be up there, but then think about new asset classes like crypto. Yeah, I mean, that's like on another level. That's what I was thinking before of, when you know, talking about volatility. Yeah. The volatility has just been incredible. That's the thing as well, right? There's a lot of people that I know of who are coming to me, they're, they're not comfortable with volatility, but then they're investing in cryptocurrency and then they're wondering why they're so stressed out. I'm like, you're going against your risk yeah, tolerance. Yeah. You can't tolerate this. You just, you, you can't, at least in the way that you're investing in crypto. I think crypto is an interesting space and it's going to just keep on evolving, mm. but they are actually looking at, or they have already started doing exchange traded funds, which are following yeah, crypto yeah. and stuff like that. And I think for a lot of other, for a lot of people, those would be more likely where they should go instead of, because it's a basket of crypto typically. Well, or? actually the one for beta shares, which is, um, I oh, think yeah. it's called, uh, I think it's literally got CRPTO as in the oh, yeah. code. Yeah. They actually, what I like about that one, it's actually not following specific cryptocurrencies. It's actually following um, the companies that actually are in the cryptocurrency industry. Okay, so like they might be mining or exactly. Oh, fantastic. I know. So that's, that's really important to read the tear sheet, the PDF. Exactly, so that you can understand. Because someone might think, oh, they're following crypto. No, they're not. They're just following. The, the kind of the engine behind it, yeah, things like that, which so, has much different drivers, exactly. completely different drivers to the current cryptocurrency itself. Exactly. So yeah. So in terms of risk, just um, do if you're not sure, go into Google and look for uh, you know, risk tolerance questionnaire. You can say risk level, whatever you want to put in there, um, and you come up with a questionnaire, or even try you guys your your questionnaire. You love to have you try it, uh, <laughs> and hopefully that can help you. Um, help people figure out where they stand there. Okay. Yeah, fantastic. Um, okay, so I have a couple more points that you've touched on and I want to dive into. Do you want to do that now? Or do you want to kind of keep going? I know we're like uh, going on tangents off. <laughs> What's your advice at this point? No, I mean, okay. tell me what, what's your so, um, You talked about managed funds before, yeah. um, indirect investments, uh, such as managed funds. Yeah. Um, exchange traded funds or ETFs. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess I just wanted to talk a little bit about the great aspect of these, which is you don't have to pick the stocks yourself. 
Exactly. So either they're um, being selected according to an index, which would then generally be quite diverse, definitely more diverse than only all the ones. Yes. yes. Or in a managed fund, you might have a research team uh, similar to nuclear, like we do at Nuclear yes. as well, yes. and they're researching each all of the stock. Yeah, that's their day job. Yeah, come to a view on it. Yeah, they put a portfolio together. Um, and so it can be a first step in terms of um, getting comfortable with the process yeah. without having to take on all the burden and responsibility of it. Exactly. I have a bit, I don't know if it's a controversial view or not, but I know a lot of people think, or a number of people think like this. Honestly, I honestly think most people should stay the hell away from direct shares. <laughs> I'm going to just say it out there. Well, I can say that, yeah. I think most people should stay away from direct shares because they just do not have the the time, the the, the knowledge, the you know, to it's a lot of time. Yeah, to to research the company themselves to figure out what is the you know potential forecasted. You know, they, they just don't have that interest first of all, mm -hmm. or the knowledge, or the time, or the curiosity to keep on learning. Right? Because it's so, not just the initial research. You no. have to stay to date with all yeah, the exactly. announcements, not just the company ones, the industry ones. Yeah, exactly. Just to stay on top of things. And don't get people off. No, no, no. Actually, funny enough, I direct shares, uh, especially if it's long-term investing, which is my focus, um, it's different from day trading. Yeah. So buying direct shares is not like Wolf of Wall Street stuff or long-term investing. It's not you sitting there the whole day trying to look at price charts. You, you know, you obviously put in that initial um, stage of researching, you buy the company, you don't have to look at it every single day. You, mm -hmm. you don't have to do that. So the, the, the time I'm, put, I'm putting out there is not like, oh my God, it's not doable. Sure. It's doable. It's more, you need to be more into actually making the choice yourself and putting yeah. that effort. And then, you know, evaluating the, the portfolio going forward. Whereas, you know, the things like exchange traded funds or managed funds, um, somebody else is doing that for you. Yeah, I mean, the caveat is that you pay them an ongoing management cost because, mm -hmm. well, it's a service they're providing. But when it comes to things like ETFs, you can find some really low cost mm -hmm. ETFs out there which have reasonably low fees. Um, and the thing is, a lot of people always think- What does the fees range from an ETF? Listen, they can, they're so different because you've got passive ETFs, right? Right. Can, and, have like, and then you've got active yeah. ones. So that can be such a big gamut of like okay. 0.07 all the way to like 3%. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, sure. So yeah. it just, it depends what the fund is doing. Okay. Because the more, it's more of an index style, uh, the cheaper it is because they don't have as much work that they mm -hmm. have to put in. Yeah. The more it's active, as you'd understand, there's so much more work yeah, involved in absolutely. that. So that would usually cost more. Okay. But <clears throat> with exchange traded funds, a lot of all managed funds, a lot of people actually really underestimate what that can do. So for instance, I'll give an example. Um, let's say the S&P 500, which is the top 500 largest companies in America, for instance. I think there's a graph that I really like. It shows if you had invested $10,000, I think it's mm. 91. Yeah. And it left it um, just tracking the S&P 500, like an index of the S&P yeah, 500, yeah. up to uh, like 2020 like or 2021, that it would have turned from 10,000 to 210,000. Mm, if it you know, kept on reinvesting the dividends and all that, all that jazz. So a lot of people think that they need to pick the next you know, unicorn, the next Tesla, the mm -hmm. next Amazon or whatever, okay. for it to make sense to invest in the share market. But that's actually really in incorrect because even if you're following just even the ASX 200 yeah. over the past 20 years, if you look at you know the potential there, it's still going to generally, let's say just the, the share market has usually outperformed most um, asset classes mm -hmm. in general over that long period, but also has also gone past inflation. So another thing that a lot of people don't think about one of the main reasons people invest is to try and actually make sure that their money doesn't erode yep, over time. Absolutely. Uh, and you want to try and make sure that whatever that return is, it's going to be higher than whatever the inflation rate is, mm -hmm. so that your money is actually growing by the same value. Thing. Exactly, yep. even more. Yep. So, yeah, so for a lot of people, it's like you don't have to actually 
necessarily choose companies if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. Um, There's plenty of people who've built wealth just in managed funds, just in exchange-traded funds, or and allowing some other people to choose it for you. Although there's no either or, you can do both. I love both. I like both things. So you can mix both, you know, uh, indirect somebody else kind of, you know, uh, making those decisions for you for certain things. And then you can also choose individual companies as well. Uh, And at the beginning, be more cautious and maybe put in less money in things like individual companies until you actually really understand how to to do the research for yourself. But you just have to start, right? I think a lot of people overthink investing. Uh, By the way, I was one of those people. You're going to laugh. So, uh, you you were talking about how you're in finance. I've been in in the financial services world for 15 years. And I was, you know, I would obviously do things like, you know, managed funds through super exchange traded funds and other things through raise and other things. But it took me until my 30s, and I've been working in the industry for a while, to feel that I, I was good enough and I knew enough to buy my first direct share. Yeah. And then I realized, wait, uh, actually, there was no need for me to have to wait all this long. All I needed was, you know, a basic understanding, a basic way of, of knowing how to research and evaluate companies and understanding how the share market works. I had, I had plenty of that working in this industry. But a lot of people, because of fear, they become perfectionists. That was me. I became a perfectionist, not because I didn't know anything, because I was just I was intimidated. I was intimidated in finance. And decision paralysis. Exactly. And then when you actually make that first uh, kind of step, you realize, okay, this is not as hard as I might think. It's actually more a, a psychological game. Yeah, definitely. The psychology part, a lot of people really don't put enough emphasis on that. So even Warren Buffett. So Warren Buffett, for those who don't know, he's one of the richest men in the world, but he's also known as probably the most successful share investor out there, long-term share investor. And he talks about how the most important thing, he he says, I think one of his quotes, which I really love is, the share market is a vehicle for taking, you know, for taking money from the impatient to the patient. Uh Temperament matters so much, especially in the long-term investing game. Um, The psychology of your mindset, right? So, if you're someone who's impatient and you yeah. want it all now, it's very difficult for you to actually wait out a great a great company that you invest in. You won't wait to see it grow over time. You want it now, you know. Yeah. Um, for I'll give an example of Amazon. I think in 2013, their share price was like $300, mm-hmm. which for a lot of people who had bought it before that, yeah. they would have been like, this is great. I'm going to jump ship now, and that's mm-hmm. great. But now it's like 3000 something per share, right? Yeah. And for those who were patient enough to wait it out, um, you know, and see where it went, they've been rewarded for it. Absolutely. And a lot of them have become millionaires from that. But psychology, because we're such emotional people, Absolutely. the share market and its constant volatility and movement. And of course, this world we live in where there's information bombarding you all the time, this happened and this happened. So you've got a lot of misinformation out there, mm-hmm. first of all, mm-hmm. but also there's a lot of noise. So we get emotional, we panic, yep. we jump out, we jump in, we you know hear from Uncle Bob and Auntie Liz <laughs> at the barbecue about some, some amazing company she heard of, and then we jump in that because we, we are like, before, you know, what it before is. we know, before we actually be in FOMO, exactly. You've got people talking about crypto. So this whole crypto thing is because crypto is everywhere, right? It's talked about. Yeah. And I say to people, what is crypto? They can't answer that and they put money into it. Oh. So it's like, I know. I know it is scary. It's better if you know what it is. Please know what you're actually investing in before you put your heart and money into it. Um, so yeah. Right? You, you have to give up time to work to get this money. Yes. And so be sensible with it. Yes. I know that's nobody wants to hear be sensible. I know how rude. Don't tell them that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's true though. Like, you know, just you know, just just whenever somebody comes to you, you know, with some amazing deal, just just take a breath, Mm -hmm. you know, and ask some questions, you know, get some more information about it. Do a little bit of, of digging. You don't even have to do much to unveil when something is a bit dodgy or 
if that person doesn't actually know what they're talking about. Um, the time it takes to do that digging, you're not going to miss out. No, you're not. And also, if it's too good to be true, if it sounds too good to be true, it is. It definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say, not that it's like it is, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even do the work. <laughs> Don't even. If it sounds just too good to be true, it's a scam. <laughs> Worry about their IFSL. Don't, or don't even go there. Yeah. If someone's gonna tell you, oh, you're gonna be a millionaire in six months, run away. Oh my gosh, yeah. Stay <laughs> uh, away. Why, why would someone tell you that instead of just doing it again themselves? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so psychology. You know. Yes. Yeah, so work on yourself like i mean we all have kind of mindsets that we've gotten about money and investing from childhood you mm -hmm. know absolutely like we all do i do and everyone i talk to the ladies when i do the course with them we, we psychology is a big part of yeah. the course we talk about us mindsets and how we have to deal with them and of course the myth the myth that we have about about share investing for instance that is you have to be very smart to uh -huh. do it you have to be good with numbers you know, you have to have a lot of money. All of this information, there's so much to counteract that. Is in these literal um, examples. Why are what, of the why, opposite? Why of um, I feel like there's a lot of media around share investing, which is not very accurate about the average investor. So the average investor is like, you know, you and me. That's the majority of the investors, mm -hmm. and these are the quiet ones. They're not the ones who are like Wolf of Wall Street. They're just normal average people who are employed who are you know buying you know a number of shares and then they continue doing it over time mm -hmm. quietly that's more real the reality of investing yeah. that boring mundane you know i'm going to invest in whether it's an etf or this and then continuously yeah. add yeah. to that mm -hmm. over a long period of time um the share market is such an exciting place mm -hmm. it's so noisy yeah that the means have been have come out of yeah. that Okay. Whether it's from the TV shows, whether it's from the movies, whether it's just the media and what it says sure. around shows. I mean, that's what people want to read and hear about. Like, exactly. It's, it's sort of entertainment in a way. Yeah, that's why. Exactly. It's the same in, I guess, all of our news. And that's what intimidates people. They okay. see all this and like, I can't do that. I'm just an average person. But there's so many amazing stories of average people yeah. who Changing have their changed their lives through the share market through investing in companies over the long term. This has been going on for centuries and, mm -hmm. and most of the people who've made money on the share market are just average people. Yeah, uh, with, with normal average IQs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Also, I think on the idea that you have to have lots of money, certainly yeah. the costs of um, investing now, uh, ju they've just come down so much through the internet. Yes. You know, like, the it cost really of, has. Uh, brokerage buying shares or ETFs that's, that's come down a lot. It, it so. really has. And if you are to compare it with other asset classes like property, mm -hmm. you know, Goodness. where you have to, you know, borrow God knows how much and you have to save so much. So when you would say to me, it's, it's too, you know, um, it's too much, you need to put too much money to start here investing, I'm like, uh, really? That has to be probably one of the easiest. Uh, or the cheapest or the lowest amount you need mm. is investing in shares in comparison to things like like property you know so i always find that interesting especially and you nailed it especially now with the the online trading platforms and you know the micro investing apps there's yep. so much that even with the most basic amount you can start nowadays yeah okay so um I don't I think I have many more points to dive into, but I do want to do a recap and see if we've kind of got there forever. I think we probably went on some tangents there. Actually, you know what, before we do that, do you want to talk about diversification? We touched on it a little bit. Is it yeah. worth talking any more about it? Well, I mean, I think you guys would have probably heard that whole don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, so that's pretty much what that is. It's pretty much not putting too much into one thing, right? It's trying to make sure that, you know, let's say this company goes down, it's not going to take all of your money with you, or this industry goes down, something dramatic happens, and, and it happens, you know, and things change, and you don't want to be too, you know, 
too much in, in just a focus yeah. of one thing, especially when you're the average Joe. So I say this as in, I think says, I don't know if it's Warren Buffett or someone, if you're someone who's a, an expert, mm -hmm. experts or people who know what they're doing can afford to be less diverse yeah, than people okay, who sure. are not. But the, the difference between Warren Buffett and the average investor is often he has such large dating companies and simply because of his reputation, he gets to have a say in the way that the companies run. Exactly. Like exactly. active participants. There's actual, he can control yeah. a lot more than the average person can, right? Exactly. And a small shareholder. Yeah. Like uh, a couple of episodes ago, I was talking to the Australian Shareholders Association. Yeah. You know, they try and sort of, um, combine uh, the retail power and pool it in yep. terms of trying to get change at companies. So yeah. that's an example exactly. of how you can do that. Mm -hmm. But if, when you don't have, when you have less control, you sort of it's greater risk in a sense. Exactly, and and so yes, so exactly. So for someone who's just an average person, right? You when you when you're thinking about diversification, is you're trying to just just safeguard specific situations happening, making sure that, let's say, for instance, you can, and you can diversify in different ways. You can diversify in different asset classes. So not yep. just having it all in shares, yep. having some in property, if you can afford it, <laughs> having all, all in property trust, you know, or you can, um, you know, put it in bonds, whatever you want to do, or, or cash funds. But also you can invest within the shares themselves. You can diversify mm -hmm. within that. So you can diversify with, whether it's different industries or different uh, countries. Yep. So you've got a lot of people, you know, who've got most of their, you know, money in Australia, mm -hmm. right? But the world is your oyster, right? Take advantage of international markets. Yeah. Um, so markets, regions, you know, uh, asset classes, there's different ways of just, and just think of it as a way of covering your behind, <laughs> you know, in different uh, potential situations. Uh, where to happen mm -hmm. normally with diversification why it works especially different asset classes that usually when something happens they can act differently yeah. to each other so it can it, it is it can potentially cancel each other out yeah. if something dramatic happens in shares you, you know if you've got fixed interest style investments they might act in a different way direction exactly yeah. so that can kind of help you out there so a lot of people are already by the way a lot of people don't know this they're already indirectly invested in the share market mostly through their super funds yeah. so most super funds have you know your money is invested in managed funds mm. and most of those managed funds have got money on the share market yeah so a lot of people don't know that but you're probably already in the share market indirectly so, so i mean that can be a starting place as well so yeah you see what you can find out from the super fund about exactly. what actually check out actually find out how you're invested a lot of people don't know this Find out, like you know, they they usually have different risk levels. Exactly, conservative, moderate, high risk for growth. So find out and make sure you're comfortable with yeah. whatever you know how you're invested. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. I love, I love saying uh, don't have all your eggs in one basket. I feel like it summarizes so perfectly. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. <laughs> okay, so let's ha let's have a quick look at where where we've been today. So, um, get, get on the AFX website. Yeah, I mean, listen. If you start clicking on things on the SS website, I think it can freak you out. But I, I, I like to do that. It's such a weird exercise, but it's worked when I've done it with the ladies, where they'll be like, oh, after a few days of just logging in and looking at it, it hasn't, the fear has gone down. Okay. It's just gone down. It's like, it's just, it's okay. It's not the big, it's, okay. it's not going to bite and jump out. It's fine. Anything. You can jump in and out. And then secondly, just get some sort of basic I would recommend the share course of on the ASX because they're not trying to push any agenda on you. It's just yeah. purely an educational okay. course. It's a basic course. Um, I think it's important to understand the basics of how the share market works and what it is before you invest your money in it. Mm -hmm. So I feel really strongly yeah. about having some sort of basic yeah. understanding of what you're doing. Um, and then just start. Please don't try. You don't have to put in a lot of money mm -hmm. to begin with. You can use micro investing apps yeah. if you're not comfortable, or you can, you know, invest the minimum of five hundred dollars in the online trading platform in a company you've researched, and then just learn more. You know, take advantage of, um, uh, you know, if you find really good podcasts that you can listen to, like this one. <laughs> then. Do that, so you'll be surprised what you pick up on mm -hmm. as time goes on. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if you find some people that you follow who've got podcasts, who've got 
uh, books, we've got, you know, and then you just, the, the knowledge will grow with time. Yeah, be, patient. be patient with yourself. Uh, don't expect to know everything at once. It's one step at a time. And when you think of it as one step at a time, it's not so overwhelming. Yeah. Right? yeah. And they, no one is holding a gun to your head to know everything now. Just do one step. Understand that those basics make that first purchase and just take it from do there. Do the questionnaire. Exactly. Know, do the questionnaire. Understand your so risk tolerance. Learn, and then and learn about your psychology. Yeah, yeah. Your goals. And your goals. And understand, write them, what, write them down. What are you trying to actually get from, you know, these investments? Yeah. And it's also, a great motivator, right? Yeah, and tie them back to your values. We talked about that at the good life at the beginning. Tie all this back to why are you doing this? I always do a, a you know, a kind of a practice or what, what do you want to call it? Activity yeah. at the beginning of the course with the ladies, where it's like, what is your big why? What mm -hmm. is your big why for investing in the share market? And it ha it can't be, oh, I want to make money. It has to be a deeper need. Yeah around your values and things that are really important to you. And then when you really know that, it can help you just continue on, you know, with it as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of your wealth of knowledge. Thank and you. And so much from your course. If people are interested in your course or following you, yeah. how can they get in touch? Okay, so you can follow Her Economics um, on social media. So whether it's Facebook, uh, Instagram, you can follow on, on LinkedIn as well. Um, and obviously you can follow me on LinkedIn as well. Um, another way, a really good way is you can go to the website and join our email list. So economics.com okay. so they can actually follow the email list. So that way you find out when, because I do um, like educational free webinars uh, occasionally. And then of course you also find out when the course is going to be, you know, the next cohort. So yeah, so follow okay. me and come and register for the email list. Thank you. Yeah. You heard her. Get on it. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's close, close out the session. Um, yeah. I hope you've all enjoyed it as much as I have because it's been fantastic. And um, if there wasn't something for you, maybe you know someone who uh, is a little bit tentative about getting in the share market and um, you could share it with them. Uh, so... Um, I just wanted to remind everyone that uh, Nucleus Wealth does personalised investment portfolios and limited investment advice. That's the questionnaire we've been talking about for all episode. Um, and you can find out more at NucleusWealth.com or give us a call on 1300 623 863. Um, you can ask us questions or anything like that. Don't have to necessarily be wanting to get invested with us uh, straight away. Uh, thank you, as always, to my producer, Jaden Stent, for his help in Thanks, getting today's episode out. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, that's goodbye for myself and Wazi today. Thank you for it listening. Was in. Awesome. Thanks for having Thank me. You. Lovely. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you.